We are beyond excited to announce our first digital dog training course on the subject of leash reactivity. We partnered with a fellow certified dog trainer, Aaron Gianella, in order to bring you the most comprehensive online course on the subject. Is your dog pulling on leash, lunging at the sight of other dogs or people, too overwhelmed or excited about triggers, or showing signs of stress? Or are they scared of other dogs, people, or sounds that they hear and have trouble having a relaxed, stress-free walk as a result? And what about the human side of things? Are you struggling because it feels impossible to have a peaceful walk and outing? Are you embarrassed or frustrated by your dog when you're out with them? Are you actively avoiding activities in certain places and outings because you're worried about your dog and what they'll do? If you answered yes on any of these questions, we created this course specifically for you. For more information and to purchase this course, please check out our website at familypups.com backslash online dash courses. the family pups podcast as you know this is where we have conversations about the most commonly requested dog training and dog behavioral issues and we are going to do part two of my training journey and i kind of looked back and reminded myself when we did our first recording and that was in march 6th of 2023 so a month and a half has elapsed and we have Aaron and Jessica back on the podcast. Hello. 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 So let me remind our audience what we discussed on our first episode. So we started off the podcast last time just discussing how it's really hard for positive dog trainers to show before and after videos, right? It's really a struggle for them to capture the footage, especially when their clients are stressing out or feeling like you're not doing your job. So any thoughts there on some of those things that we discussed, Tanya or Aaron? Um, well, I have to say that I have started recording my sessions a lot more. So there's definitely more glimpses of moments of reactivity, which which is normal. Real life training is just, you know, putting all the components together, capturing all the footage. Um has been something that I've incorporated more and more ever since we had those discussions. So, so what has changed in terms of what you're doing to capture this footage that maybe uh, you didn't do before? Um, I just co communicate with my client, hey, do you mind if I record the training they're doing together? I have to admit that oftentimes once the dog um, starts reacting, uh, it's hard for me to both record and to go and coach my clients. So perhaps I need to like set up like a, a static camera somewhere in that can give us an overview. I haven't figured out that uh, part of the picture but yeah for the most part we have some milder reactions but what I found is that if we have bigger reaction I can't record and coach and kind of jump into action at the same time so still figuring out the whole setup but yeah there is there is a, a movement in, in that direction more and more on my end yeah I've done the very similar things to Tanya, just like asking if I can, or, um, you know, if it's a situation where I've coached the client for a while um, and they kind of know what to do, I almost ask to film them so that they can see, you know, where they've improved, where, um, you know, they can see like, oh, I'm doing this with my hands or doing this with the leash. Um, and that's helpful for, you know, you to watch back yourself and see like, oh, I am doing that, or I can improve on this thing, or this little thing can help. So, you know, I'm definitely not there where I'm doing it all the time, but little things here and there to mm -hmm. kind of help everybody see their own behavior too. Yeah. And what about you, Jessica? Um, obviously you've been filming some footage for social media with Diesel, I'm sure holding the leash while he's reacting, while holding the phone was not an easy thing to do. How has your experience been there? Yeah, no, I'm laughing because it's definitely not easy. But what I liked about the exercise is that I got to learn when Diesel is most triggered. So what really gets him going? 
Um, as well as, you know, for other dog owners like myself who are trying to put these techniques in place that you guys share in your course is have someone film you as you're practicing. It's a great way to look back and to say, okay, I could have done this better or actually this is what they teach in the course. And I didn't exactly implement those techniques the right way. So um, don't be shy. Like I have my mom come and I tell her, please just come for a walk with me. And I have a feeling that when we cross paths with this dog, he's going to react this way and I'm going to implement this technique. And then she films and then I get to see what I do. I do good and bad, but yeah, alone is not, is not the easiest, but it's a great way to know really what triggers your dog. And you need to get home and I totally. write it down. Like I, I'll write, you know, I'll take little notes of, okay, this is in this situation. I saw like he got very reactive. So I know moving forward that these are the situations that get him triggered. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. I mean, Erin can testify with the Karen Pryor Training Academy. All you have to do is record yourself for every single thing you're training, right? And then you have like these hours of hours of footage that you can go through and really kind of learn about yourself because there is definitely some subtle movements and shifts going on that we can't always like catch as it's happening and with our own eyes. Yeah, that was definitely yeah. a humbling experience. <laughs> yeah so really excited to see what you've discovered in terms of what diesel is reactive to but just as a another reminder you know this idea behind this podcast or social media series was a transformation journey in podcast form and social media with someone who's going through leash reactivity with their own dog and use the course to help them so we talk about how we found jessica why this series was compelling to jessica and a little background about Jessica, you know, she grew up with Goldens. She got a COVID puppy. She got scammed a couple of times. Uh, and she even called herself naive in the process because she just wanted to get this dog. So uh, anything kind of pop up for you, Jessica, in terms of that little recap of your experience thus far? Yeah, you, you said it well. A typical COVID puppy uh, didn't get much socialization, working on it big time. And I think this is why he is how he is today a bit when it comes to reactivity. Um, you know, I had a house, I was living in the suburbs, very quiet location. Now I'm in a very busy area, full of dogs, full of people. So it's been, it's been a journey. So in summary, that's where we are today. And today is all about just how has it been, Jessica? Where are you today? It's been, as we talked about, a month and a half. I'm sure you've learned a lot. So how are you and how, how is Diesel today? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, I would say for myself, um, more confident. I feel almost calm, cool, and collective, whereas prior to taking the course, I didn't. I was insecure. I was embarrassed, um, you know, just kind of hopeless, and I would just avoid the situation. And as I always say is I would keep Diesel in a bubble pretty much, so you know, let me take him for a walk when I know there's nobody out. Let me take him, uh, you know, around three o'clock when people are working, you know, avoid the rush hours where nowadays without, you know, going over his limits, I take him during rush hours or I'll take him when it's a bit busier and I'll go places where maybe there's a bit more action. Um, I have that confidence now because I know exactly what I have to follow, what techniques I need to implement that you guys shared in the course that just gave me that boost of confidence. And I've noticed as I started sharing what I was learning in the course on social media, just how many people struggle with this. And so many people just like me say, I'm just going to avoid it. I have, this is what I was, these are the cards I was handed and this is my reality. I can't fix it. So I'm just going to deal with it. And I think that is, you know, such a, it's such a bad situation to, to be in, to feel. And that's how I felt. So mm. yeah, I would say for myself, it's just that boost of confidence and yeah. your dog, your dog senses that they sense when you're, when you're confident and you know, you're in control and you're kind of almost that leader and that you could set them up for success. So yeah. Mm. Love that. I have a question just so we can paint the picture a little bit more clearly for our listeners and for those watching the video. So when it comes to Diesel's reactivity, what were the main behaviors that you see from him? Does he vocalize? Does he jump? Does he lunge? Like, what does it look like? And how far of a distance away from a trigger would you say you had before you started working with him? Mm -hmm. 
Oh my. So he is the king of lunging and his hair goes up on his back. Like incredibly it, like people notice it from far away um and then kind of barking and he like he's kind of almost like choking as he's barking um and far away so it was definitely like they could be completely across the street even across the street in a park and he would he would do this what i've noticed is he's very territorial so he's less reactive or the signs are less visible um when we're just walking somewhere in public but when we're near the condo or when we're outside or we just come out of the lobby that's and he sees another dog that's when he gets very reactive and i think it's a territorial thing um and that's what i've been really trying to work on and that's what i really want to start working on even more now that i see progress when it comes to just walking in general in public territorial very territorial <laughs> that's a good point i know like a lot of times, a lot of people will say to Tanya and I, you know, my dog is, you know, territory around the house or around me. And a lot of times, like any time, any type of reactivity, it's really based out of like fear and frustration. So it's this fear or, you know, I don't know diesel, so I don't want to assume, you know, sometimes it can be this fear of who's going to come out that door. Why are all these people around me? Why is there so much noise? So that's really good that you notice that it's around all these areas that he's familiar with. And whether, you know, it's territorial or not, it could also just be like, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I'm stressed. Mom, help me out. So I love that you've noticed it and you've kind of now it's like, this is where you can pinpoint your training next, you know? Yeah. That's actually a really good point because I might actually even be wrong. Maybe it's not because it's territorial issues. Um, but what you said, and it really resonated with me, and I just realized is a lot of times when we, let's say we leave the condo, we come out of the lobby, the dog just appears right away and he gets, you could tell he gets nervous by it and they're really close by, right? So even if we just come out of and into the hallway or go into the elevator, the dog just appears and that's when he gets really anxious. Whereas when we're just walking by a park, he sees the dog from a distance. So he has time to maybe adjust. So yeah, I love that. That's, that's a really, really good point. Yeah. Um, this morning I was actually uh, taking, or I'm a part of a mentoring program with Mike Shikashio, shout out aggressivedog.com. And the whole discussion was centered around what in the training field we call sudden environmental contrast, which is that um, experience of Nothing's going on. And then all of a sudden, something appears fast and quick into the picture. And then that results in a reaction. So for a lot of dogs, that can be a problem. And like pinpointing that that is what's going on can also help us then create a plan around it. But just being aware um, that Southern environmental contrast can be something to be affecting the dog's behavior. And I think that probably there is the component of um, a percentage type of game, right? So how often when I go into the lobby, is there a dog that causes me to react? So it's almost like that anticipation uh, of a trigger is already built into the picture and sooner or later yes that trigger is there that trigger appears out of nowhere we don't have as much control over those and it kind of maintains that reactivity loop that we were talking about in our course as well so just that anticipation yeah. of potential negative experiences is just constantly on their brain it seems like yeah, I mean, the more the dog has reactions in certain areas or the more the triggers are presented in a way with the Southern environmental contrast, we may have much more explosive reactions just because of the way that the trigger is presented. It just is nothing, nothing, nothing. And then like something appears that can be a lot more startling and can cause a bigger emotional response. I, I could totally, I've, I witnessed it last week. So as you're speaking, I'm thinking about a situation and I don't know if you guys saw, but I shared in my story was I was walking diesel and I was coming around the corner and I'm totally guilty. I was on my phone and I had my earphones on as well. So one, I'm looking down, I'm not looking at my surroundings and two, I can't hear anything. And I turned the corner and this lady, you could tell she got so nervous and she had a 
I think it was a great Dane, so like really big dog. And Diesel got totally so caught off guard. And she was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, but you have to move. You have to move. Like he's really, really strong and, and he's reactive. And you could tell the great Dane was reactive as well. Now, every single time I turn that corner since last week, Diesel's hair goes up on his back and you could wow. tell mm-hmm. he knows. And it, it really, it's, fa- it, it's fascinating. It really is fascinating. I remember I told my mom the story and she goes, that's not, it can't be. I said, come for a walk with me. And she saw it right away and it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. So I really like that, you know, anticipation because sometimes it just takes two seconds for something to really set your dog off and they remember that. And then now they're just even more, you know, nervous and fearful. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can work the other way too. If your dog has found like some sort of, uh, delicious trash or chicken bone or whatever around the corner, the chances are it's going to try to take you there just to make sure there isn't another one that's left there too. So it's just kind of like these survival mechanisms. It works for us also to where we need to remember the things that causes big emotional responses so that we can either benefit from those or protect ourselves from those as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like your mom is learning a lot about dog behavior too, Jessica. (laughs) She really is. (laughs) You know, like I said before in in the first podcast we did, I had Goldens growing up and they were always so easy. They were just easy going and we never even trained them. It was, you know, there was nothing really there. So yeah, it's a learning curve for, for everyone, but it's great. I just wanted to clarify one more thing in terms of the triggers. So what do we have? Uh, dogs, people, do we have any type of scooter, skateboard runners? Like what's in our trigger category? I love that question because when I took your course and I started reflecting on what really triggers him and I realized prior to taking your course, I was sharing a lot of content on leash reactivity and just sharing, you know, Diesel's bad reactivity. And I kept saying people and dogs, people and dogs, but it's not people. He's, well, we we could walk right by. He doesn't even care. Maybe he'll sniff and he'll look for love and to be pet, but that's it. It's dogs. And that's it. That's all. There's something. And I realized there's specific dogs that I don't know for what reason. I, I, I have no idea. I'm not, you know, the expert in this, but he goes the extra mile to really be reactive. And I don't, I can't, I can't figure it out. And the owners know now too, they'll see Diesel come around the corner and they'll, you know, take their space. And I'm, I'm so, I, I look at them and I say, I'm so sorry. I don't know what it is specifically with your dog, but yeah. yeah. So it's dogs to answer your question. It's, it's definitely, it's dogs. Yeah. That's, that's really good question, Tanya, because it, and Jessica, your answer is great. It, it opens up the conversation of, so there's, you know, there's three different types of dogs. Like you have the dogs that love every single person. You have the dog selective, which seems to be a little bit of what Diesel is, you know, unleashed. And there's certain dogs he's more reactive to. And then you have the dogs that don't like any dogs. That's okay. You know, I always relate it to like humans where it's like, we're not friends with everybody on the entire planet. We don't get along mm-hmm. or, you know, want to be friends with everyone we meet. And that's okay. And it's the same thing with dogs. So it's great that you recognize his body language now and you see, okay, this dog over there, he's way more reactive to. That's okay. We're just like not going to say hi yeah. today. <laughs> That's exactly what I do. It's just, it's so funny. There's two dogs specifically in my building that I know it's, it just diesel, it just throws them off the edge and I can't, I don't know why, but it is, that's, that's the situation. And we'll be back right after this break. Are you looking for an exceptional veterinary care experience for your cat or dog? Good Heart Animal Health Centers are here for all your pet's needs. Their happy, helpful team provides full-service care for all stages of your pet's life. Separate areas for dogs and cats help keep checkups low stress for people and their pets. New clients receive a personalized pet name tag and a bottle of wine as a thank you for giving them a try. Good Heart has two locations in Denver, at Broadway and Alameda, and in Cherry Creek. For more information, visit goodheart.vet. Now back to the episode. Let's talk about, you know, you you mentioned that you're just more confident when you're out with Diesel. So what piece of knowledge or what piece, what skill have you gained since uh, the last podcast? And obviously since taking the course that you have now 
that has given you that additional confidence to go out when it's a little bit more crowded or whatnot? What, what are those things? Yeah. Um, bring treats <laughs> because and I know it sounds, it sounds obvious or, but you know, I catch myself before taking the course. Oh, I don't need treats today. He'll be fine. But it takes that one situation, yeah. that one split second and everything is, is not fine anymore. <laughs> and for a few days usually. Um, so I always make a point. I bring treats and I started first, you guys present the technique of doing the U-turn which I loved. And I did that for a few weeks. So whenever I would see a dog, just turn around and I would take a treat and I'd say, good boy, and walk the other way. And then I started to say, okay, I think I have enough confidence to, to walk by the dog, not on the same, let's say we're on the same path, I'll go across the street and we'll walk by. But I realized as we're approaching the dog, I have treats. And just by me turning and putting my hand in my pocket, Diesel's looking at me and not the dog. Um, and I just say, good boy, good boy. And I don't get him too excited, you know, just in a very confident manner, the way I say it. And we walk by dogs. And the first time it happened when we walked by and he was looking at me and he was happy and he didn't look at the other dog was like, wow, that was a moment. I'm like, okay, like I could, I could do this. So yeah, first, like I always say is you have to bring something, you have to bring treats with you because you want to reward your dog for when they're doing something good. And I wasn't doing that at first because I, like I said, I kept saying, oh, you know, today he'll be fine. He'll just ignore the dog, but no, no, he won't. Yeah. And you need to just be on top of it um, and be proactive, not reactive. Mm. That's a lot of what I tell myself when I'm on these walks now is anticipate the situation. If you see a dog coming from far, okay, let's, let's not react to it. Let's just be proactive and let me set him up for success. So. I love that so much. I think you've made like, it's always so great seeing any bit of progress. Like those are huge wins when you see that maybe something's working and you can continue to improve on it. Um, even if you didn't know like why or what, but you just crossing the street when you're walking by a dog is such a big learning step for people um so i think that's such great you made such great decisions which is everything that you've told us you've done um so i'd love to see that yeah and if there's one thing because i you know it just came to mind and a lot of people when i shared the first technique of rewarding your dog as you're walking by and getting them to focus on you rather than the other dog a lot of times and it was a question i had too in the past was well am i not just distracting my dog by doing that but no, you're not. And it's so it's, I see it with my own eyes and I'm, I'm living it as we speak is now diesel will see dogs coming by. And he looks at me saying, okay, I know I'm going to get something better if I focus on her rather than the dog walking by. And it really is fascinating. And so it's for me, what I learned is consistency as well. You got to be consistent. You got to constantly work on it because eventually your dog will make that switch where it's like, you know what, I'm not going to focus on that other thing walking by because I get something better from my owner. And most of the times you see dogs reacting because they don't know what to do in those situations, right? So they do the thing that works like the lunging, the barking or the jumping, whatever. Um, so now you've taught Diesel an alternate behavior. He has the choice to check back in with you instead of barking and whatever he's doing. And that's amazing like that is now he's less stressed you're less stressed you don't have to pull on leash and try and get out of there like it's just a much better option for everyone sometimes it may feel like it may seem like oh i'm just you know distracting him with the treats uh, you know giving him treats as we're walking by the other dog but is he actually learning something I, yeah, I would say the answer is yes, because what he's learning is that he can walk by other dogs while eating food and while focusing on their handler. It doesn't mean that it has to be at a high rate that we're giving the treats. Yeah, we start at a high rate, but over time we can space out the amount of rewards that we're giving the dog or re reinforcing the behavior. And the dog has had 
a good amount of practice of walking by triggers without reacting and it's starting to stick as the thing that they do. So even though sometimes it, we may be kind of confused if you're thinking about, well, what is a behavior that I want to reinforce? Um, kind of going at it with this perspective can help us understand whether we are reinforcing a desirable behavior or not. Mm. And we should obviously have an increase <laughs> in that behavior. One thing, I love everything you said, and I totally agree. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking of a, a new thing I have that I always tell myself is no dog is trying to cause us harm. And if anything, all they want to do is make the owner happy, but sometimes we need to show them what makes us happy or we always need to show them what makes us happy. So I realize, you know, in situations where Diesel's reacting, it's, it's, it's my fault as a dog owner, because I didn't show him, no, this is what I prefer you to do. And let me set you up for success and show you that you're making me happy as a dog owner. Right. So that's why when people say, well, I think you're just distracting your dog and you're avoiding the situation. It's no, it's actually, I'm showing my dog what I prefer for him or her to do that makes me happy. And then it makes Diesel happy and then everyone's happy, right? But they don't always know. Yeah. So their initial thought is, let me react to this dog. I don't know what's going on. Um, so yeah, I think sometimes keeping that in mind just from a dog owner perspective is your dog always wants to make you happy. And that's, you know, they're not out there to cause harm. I think we just need to show them what makes us happy. Or showing Diesel that you are proactively thinking about him. And if there's a dog or trigger in their environment and they're like, Oh wow, Jessica's looking out for me because I, I usually lose my crap when I see that when I see that dog and we're moving away. Wow, she she's doing something for me consistently. And I, I would feel more safe if I knew that my dog parent was doing that for me all the time too. Yeah, and knowing that reactivity comes with its own uh set of chemicals like adrenaline and cortisol they get released into the system you know happiness can be like hey i'm not feeling all this stress yeah. you know and high levels of anxiety and yeah. like everything rushing through my body this actually feels really good to just be able to take some food and keep walking yeah. it can help decrease that reactivity mm -hmm. loop that we were talking about earlier yeah. well going back to your point about uh distractions. I thought that was a very good one, Jessica. Like, are we just distracting our dogs? But it makes me think about our phones, right? So let's say we, there's a trigger in our environment and we kind of instinctively put out our, uh, bring out our phone to maybe distract ourselves. But I think there's something in the interaction with our phone. It's not just about distraction. There's a familiarity with our interaction with our phone that calms us down instead of let me look at this video so I don't have to think about this other trigger in the environment. I, I tend to think that it's both. And do you guys agree with that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I find that these are in the category of displacement behavior. So when we feel uncomfortable, this is what we do. So it can be scratching. It can be looking away. It can be, you know, even starting to be in the stress signal category, like lip licking and yawning, um, sniffing the ground. So actually, once we start to recognize dog body language, we're going to see a lot more of the subtle signals. Like the dog may be, um, let's say, hanging out and then a dog or a person appears, which is their trigger. The dog may start by noticing that trigger and going down to sniff the ground. And, you know, if our eyes are not trained to recognize, we'll be like, hmm, nothing much is going on. The dog is just sniffing the ground. But from there, as the trigger continues approaching, then we may start to see, you know, the dog's body language start to kind of progress to, oh, and now I'm going to focus, you know, looking at that trigger. Maybe I get a little more stiff and still. And oftentimes those are missed too. So we just wait way too long moving past a bunch of signals that have happened earlier until the dog is already reacting and then we're trying to jump into mm. action and i feel like a lot of the questions that are coming up you know on the social media and just in general mm. are for those situations which are important too we need to know what to do when the dog is already freaking out 
And our goal is to teach people how to be more proactive so that we can intervene at the earlier stages so that the dog doesn't get to the places to where the big reactions are happening. Proactive, that's that's <laughs> the key word. It really is. And it's completely, you know, changed our walks. And, and I keep going back to just my, my confidence in myself and Diesel's training is to be proactive. It really has helped so much in the last month and a half. So let's go back to, you know, your attempts to manage leash reactivity before even our first podcast together. You were talking about you had some techniques that you kind of knew kind of halfway on how to do. You might have hit a wall. So what were some of those things you tried doing for his leash reactivity before that you also tried doing after taking the course, but because you understood what you were doing more was just simply more effective for you? Yeah. So I was really good at, I was told, and you can read online, there's a ton of techniques. There's all kinds of stuff out there, right? And I see a lot of people say that as well. You know, there's so much out there, I don't know where to start. One technique that I, I thought was easy to follow and I liked was get your dog to sit and focus on you as the other dog or person or whatever it is that triggers them walks yep. by. But what I was doing was I would get Diesel to sit, but he was still able to see the dog <laughs> or to see the person walk by. And... I was also doing this a lot in a very busy environment where I didn't have enough room to be able to back up or create more space between Diesel and the trigger. So it wasn't working whatsoever. Um, it was just nothing was, I, there was no way for me to get his attention on me. Obviously I was already, I already pushed him past his limits. Um, so there was no going back. And the other issue, and I, I, I'm sure a lot of people perhaps could relate is, I'm very good at telling myself I want to fix something. I want to fix it right away. And I want to prove to myself that I can fix it right away. So I bring diesel to the busiest place, the busiest ice cream shop, the busiest park, um, packed with people, not a lot of room for me to do training. And so you guys really break it out into, you no, know, you got to start small and you got to start somewhere where you can really control the environment, give yourself a lot of space Make sure your dog is very calm. And if something happens, you have room to back up and get your dog to sit. So um, don't start, don't make the mistake and don't put your, bring your dog into the busiest environments to start because you're just, you're just going to shoot yourself in, in the foot, which I did. That's, that's such a good point too. And I know it's hard as like a dog parent to be like, oh my gosh, this is going to take so long. Like, how are we going to get there? But you actually, like you're saying, you make more progress when you take these smaller steps. That doesn't mean those smaller steps are going to get you there and take you, take it long, take longer. Sorry. Um, it means that you're giving him and you the time to get comfortable and change the way you feel about these things so that you can get closer, closer, closer. And sometimes you see when you take the time to take the smaller steps, you actually get to your finished desired behavior a lot quicker. Yeah. Now I get him to sit right. And to look at me and the dog is walking behind him. So he doesn't, you know, he's not looking at the dog and he's not totally distracted. And it's, it's really worked so much better for us and a big open space, right? Like I go to a big park or I'll, you know, I won't do this on a, on a little tiny path where there's only so much space between me and the other dog. So it really has, has helped us a lot. Yeah, that's amazing. That's what I was going to ask, whether you've made a change into his positioning, because I find this to be a part of the conversation oftentimes, because people know to ask their dog to sit and stay, but their dog is sitting and staying while staring at the trigger that is coming closer and closer. And the moment that the trigger is closest, the dog goes for it and we've lost the dog. We feel discouraged or for some dogs, it may be that the trigger has passed and then the dog goes after it. So just kind of building that awareness and, um, changing where the focus for the dog is can make a difference. One thing that I can um, kind of suggest in terms of how I build progressions towards, let's say one day we just want to be on the same side of the sidewalk and just kind of pull off to the side and you know, let somebody walk by so they were not feeling like we're always having to run away from the trigger. 
um, I would really start to focus on seeing if I can get a helper to to come work with us, another person with their dog. And um, that can be a way for us to really effectively start to decrease the distance, get a bunch of repetitions, like reinforce the dog. Of course, we're going to use space where we can have a lot of space and we can decrease that space also. But it can be the, the most effective way to start to get the repetitions to build it up to like close proximities in real life as well. So just to clarify, no, just to clarify there, Jessica, was your insight that you didn't give Diesel enough room when you tried to get him to sit in front of you or he already reacted and then you tried to get him to sit in front of you, which is obviously a lot harder. All the above, everything you just said. So whether it was when he was already reactive and I'm trying to get him to sit and I'm, you know, I look like that crazy dog owner. That's when he sit, sit, sit. And he's, he's already long gone. Um, or getting him to sit while I see a dog coming. So I'm trying to be proactive, but again, I panic and I tell him just to sit without actually trying to think of, okay, where am I going to get him to sit? So he doesn't see the other dog. Um, again, just being overwhelmed and letting my emotions get the best of me. So I'm not even thinking straight. I'm just, you know, sit, 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 and just pay attention to me. And it's, it's, it's too late. So all the above, all the mistakes you could think of, I've, I've done them. Well, let's talk about an overall question then. Obviously you had a certain understanding about who Diesel is and what he's reactive to. So what do you know about Diesel today because of the training you've done, because of all the hours that you put into it, what is your new understanding about who Diesel is? He, he, he wants to make me happy. And I think most dogs are all dogs out there. At the end of the day, they're not out to harm us and they're not there saying, I'm going to get reactive and I'm going to get my, my mom or my dad mad. And I think when you understand that as a dog owner, you see, you see light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so that's really what changed my perception of things with him is he's not trying to harm me and he's not trying to embarrass me and he's not trying to get me upset. Um, but I need to show him what makes me happy and what I want to see in him. Um, and that's really when I just, I get it. And to also understand that he is, he's nervous. He's a nervous dog and I can't, you know, try to fix it all at once. And like I say, you know, bring him to that busy park filled and packed with people on a hot 30 degree day. Maybe start when it's colder outside and there's less people and then work my way up. Um, but yeah, I think it's really your dog wants to please you at the end of the day. And we just need to know the right techniques to teach them, you know, what makes us happy and what we want to see from them. Shout out to Celsius crew. 30 degrees Celsius. <laughs> I understood that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? what are you talking about? I was like, the drink? Like, what's going on? Okay, we have lots of Canada friends. Montreal right? Canadian. <laughs> That's such a great um, perspective shift, Jessica, because when you or, you know, anybody can understand that, like, our dogs aren't doing this out of, like, spite or to make you mad or to hurt anybody like that can really change the way you look at training, right? You're looking to help your dog feel less stressed versus being embarrassed about them barking or lunging or, you know, thinking, Oh my God, my dog is so bad. Like he's just a bad dog, you know, like it changes. Okay. Now I want to do something to help him. You know, you want to do things to help yourself and that just can make training go so much easier for anyone. So I'm so glad you said that. And as you're speaking and I I had to jump in, there's one part of your course that I loved so much and it was um, about using. So I used to put a a choke collar on diesel, like a prong collar, um, kind of just was told by one person do it. And then next thing you know, I, that's what I was doing. And I loved how you guys kind of reflected it and, and compared it to, well, now when your dog is seeing another dog walk by, he's getting this color doesn't necessarily hurt them, but it causes a bit of discomfort. And all you're doing is, is creating a negative association. And I love the techniques that 
you present instead that are just easy to follow first and that are they actually help build that trust and that bond between you and your dog. So like that positive reinforcement type of training. Um, I just, I had, you know, you were speaking and that, that came to mind and I really, really appreciate that. And it was, it was so true. It really was. <laughs> That's positive reinforcement for us too. Positive so reinforcement you. all around. I guess I had a question because we, we did have a, um, a lesson on labels and we were talking about, you know, how, like you had the realization that um, he's not trying to make you upset and such. Did you feel like kind of exploring a little bit that concept of labels? Because I feel like for me, it, it was quite a big realization, for example, like with the stubborn, right? So, oh, he just doesn't want to do it because he's stubborn. But actually in, in that one picture, there is so much to unpack and if we're looking at it from different angles rather than stubborn that describes the dog as a whole it, we can again be more proactive rather than just kind of giving up with the stubborn dog yeah um i think you know what i realized is there could have been that one little situation when he was a puppy or whatever I, I can't think of it and to this day I try to figure it out and I don't know if it's that but there could have been that one little situation where it I had no idea it scared him but it did and you know if that's the case for any dog owners that are listening to this and I might be saying wow you know what actually it's true when I when he was a puppy or when I got my dog and I took him or her for a walk and this other dog came lunging at at him or her like that that's traumatizing and that you know my heart that's when you really realize it's not, it's not fair for us to say oh, our dog is stubborn and our dog is trying to harm us in any way. Like they're not. And maybe it's just that one little situation that we, you know, we don't think about it anymore. And we're like, whatever, it's not a big deal. But for, for a puppy it is, and it, it just stays with them. And that's why they're fearful and nervous. Um, so yeah, I, I still to this day try to think maybe there was a situation that I can't recall that got diesel, you know, totally fearful. But if it is that, I want to help him regain that trust, right? And not not say he's stubborn and he's trying to he's trying to cause harm. Yeah, labels are so powerful, right? I mean, they're just sometimes mental shortcuts for us to make sense of the world. I mean, I think when we realize the labels that we're putting on our dogs, we kind of realize the labels that we put on other people too. Like we have interactions with certain people. We're like, oh, they're this kind of person. I kind of understand who they are now. And that helps us so that we can anticipate our interactions with them later. But, um, you know, you soon realize how little information it really takes for us to really put a label on anything. I will never judge a dog owner again if they have a reactive dog. That is for sure, because I'm sure people judge me and it's 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 OK when you realize, you know what, you're you know, you're doing your best and you're really trying to fix it. I just through my channels, I try as much to advocate for it. Never, never judge a dog owner because you don't know what they're trying to work on and just bring that community together of we're all just trying to make it work and let's not, let's be, let's just be kind and, and gentle to ourselves. So. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious as to the reaction to some of the social media posts around leash reactivity that you put up over the last month. What has that reception to that? What were some of the questions? What were some of the maybe negative comments that you got give us a sense of what the reaction was to those posts yes well one uh way more people than i even imagined struggle with this <laughs> it's a huge thing the one of the videos i think got 130,000 views and 120 comments of people being like me too me too uh, me too i struggle um one question that came up a lot and I actually really, I don't have that issue because Diesel is very food motivated. Even if it's a branch, he'll listen to me and he'll pay attention to me. But a lot of people mention my dog is not food motivated. So treats do not work. What can I use instead? And I thought that was a really interesting question because I don't, I don't have that issue. Right. So it is true. There's a lot of people out there that are like, what do I do mm -hmm. if they're not food motivated? Yeah, here's my, this is always my opportunity to jump in when someone says their dog isn't food motivated, right? I'm so glad Diesel is, and it's like 
really helpful in training to not have to figure it out. But I know Tanya, I think actually Tanya said this yesterday (laughs) when we were doing the live together, um, is, you know, a lot of times we don't really know we're not using the right reinforcers. You know, it could be a higher value food, like you were saying with cheese. Um, It also, if our dogs, most dogs, I'm going to, I don't have a percentage, but most dogs are food motivated. If they're not eating, they are in a stressful state, whether that be overstimulated, anxious, scared, you know, fearful, whatever, whatever it is. And if our dogs aren't eating, it's mostly because they, you know, we go into this in the course a lot, but they feel like they can't take in any food. So whether that means we need to add distance, get them calming down, get them eating again, they'll enjoy some food, or that means like we do need to find something higher value. So I don't want to say like every dog is food motivated, you know, because that's a blanket statement, but dogs, you know, that's what dogs learn from. This is how they feel that they can, you know, this is how they are in their natural environment. So it's interesting. It's always interesting when we ask somebody, okay, your dog isn't food motivated. What are you seeing? You know, you're seeing when they're not eating that they might be hyper-focused on dogs, people, squirrels, you know, whatever's going on in the environment. And that's when you see that it's actually maybe even more of a sign of stress versus Mm -hmm. like, I don't Mm want to eat right now. (laughs) Yeah. When it comes to reinforcers, we have three main categories. So we have food rewards and there is a um, value gradient in between the food rewards as well. We have toy rewards and we have life rewards. So food rewards are usually the ones that are easiest to exchange and most motivating to dogs. My personal experience is that whenever people say in their form and food doesn't work, when I show up with my three, all I have is three different types of freeze-dried single ingredient type of treat, Um, the dog likes them and the dog eats them. And maybe if, let's say, yeah, the dog liked them, but not so much, yeah, we're going to try boiled chicken, we're going to try some... um, real meat. I may try steak. I may try cheese. So just because one reinforcer doesn't work, it doesn't mean that all of the reinforcers are not going to work. Um, I had an instance with um, this German shepherd that I was working with. She got kind of overstimulated by the environment. We were building the food eating behavior, which is a behavior. Also, we were building that behavior out and about without distractions when distraction presented themselves we pulled out a frisbee and we played whenever she noticed that dog we marked her and then she turned around to play with the frisbee that worked really well for this dog other dogs it may be like hey i see you notice that trigger good boy good job petting praise play whatever the dog loves we can still incorporate our rewards and perhaps what may be happening is that we're not ready to do real life training as much. We may need to be working on building up our skill set, creating some exposures in ways that the dog is going to be able to perceive those triggers and still eat the food. And one last thought is that sometimes the food delivery makes a difference too. So a dog may be more interested in a treat that is being tossed on the ground versus being fed to them Um, or maybe um, tossing it in the air for the dog to catch or it may be placed somewhere let's say with a little snuffle mat and the dog looks at something and then we release them to go do that sniffing um, activity or any other uh, reinforcer that we can present to the environment that we know that the dog enjoys so it's a journey of exploration but we can find something. <laughs> yeah, and I remember it was either you, Erin, or Tanya that you mentioned yesterday, squeaky yeah, toys. That was yeah. And I was like, that's so true. And I didn't even think of that. It, and it's, you know, sometimes I'll tell people, I think maybe you could bring a toy, but then I'm like, but what kind of toy? And if they ask me what kind of toy, I don't really know what to tell them. And then squeaky toys. I was like, yes. And it's so true. Like uh diesel, I could step on his toy that squeaks and he's he, his attention's on me right away. So I thought that was a really good answer as well. 
No, it reminded me of when we had our Leash Reactivity uh, podcast between the three of us, Aaron. We're, we're talking about all the employers that were looking for employees like shortly after COVID, and they were offering a, a wage that was just not enough for the new labor uh, market. And instead of being like, maybe I should uh, raise my wage, they're like, everyone is so lazy. Like, these millennials are so entitled. Like, what the crap? Like, wow, like, that's a certain interpretation of a certain situation that's not real. But I'm really curious as to yes. what treats you're using, Jessica, specifically. Did you have to swap certain things out? Did you have to do a little bit of testing? What treats really works well with uh, with diesel? I So I have treats that are either, they, well, they smell very strong, first of all. So I have some that are chicken, that are pork, freeze-dried. But anything that smells, of course, I'm not you know, the best example, because like I said, I could have a branch and I can be like, look at this. And he thinks it's a treat and he loves it. Um, but a, a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times when I get asked that question, I say, get something that that's almost kind of smelly, like even cheese, like it smells right. Or chicken, boiled chicken. Um, I use pork. There's a, another kind of treat that I have. It's, I think it's tuna based. Like it, it doesn't smell very good, but they love it. Or jerk chicken, like they, that kind of stuff he mm. loves it i could share all kinds of stuff afterwards but yeah anything that's fish based too that has that kind of weird smell it works it smells and it gets it gets their attention so i always go by the rule of thumb like anything the three mm-hmm. s's that are stinky small mm. and um squishy you know so that it's easy for the dog to eat quickly and they're super excited about it. So it doesn't have to be that, but you know, for dogs that you're trying to find something really good. I love that. That's exactly what I was trying to say. <laughs> that is, yeah, it's smelly. It works. Well, it seems like Diesel's yeah. living that good life right now. So that's, yeah. that's great. Um, so let's talk about navigating your condo and the area around the condo. Obviously we know that there are so many corners Obviously, the elevator is a big thing. What are certain tactics that you've used to manage going in and out of your place that maybe you didn't use before? Yeah, that's that's a biggie. And that's something now that I'm really, really working on because I realized, okay, now on the walks, we kind of have it mastered. We're getting there. Um, but now my condo is the big one. Um, I actually, funny enough, yesterday, I as crazy as it sounds, but it works. I sat in the lobby with him (laughs) and it's far enough where dogs could walk in and out and it didn't, you know, wasn't pushing him beyond his limit. So he was still able to focus on me and I would just sit there. And as people walk by, I would say hi. And I reward diesel as he was looking and sitting at me. And I think that that's, this is really going to pay off. Stay tuned because I'm still kind of, you know, testing it and working on it. And I want to obviously share some content on that, but yeah, like just getting him used to it. Or even now that it's getting warmer outside, I want to sit outside in the front. We have benches and all that stuff. And again, getting him used to, okay, there's other dogs that do walk in and out of this building that he thinks is probably all his and just, you know, getting used to the people. And yeah, I think it's worked. And I think you guys seen, I shared a, something last week where I, I kept my, my balcony door open and I just was sitting on the couch working and watching TV and, but he just, and I couldn't believe it. He just sat there and where my balcony's faced, it's facing the entrance. So he could kind of see people coming in and out. And he didn't, he, at one point his his tail went up and his hair on his back went up, but he didn't bark. And then he, I said, he's a good boy. And then I rewarded him. Um, so kind of just getting him into these in, environments. Work in progress, but I, I, I've seen already an improvement. So I'm excited to to really continue this journey and see where it, where it brings him. I and then we'll, you're, we'll, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and then we'll target the elevator. <laughs> that's, yes, that's one thing at a time. Yes. Yeah, I will. I will say like leasing partners or like the managers that, you know, work in apartment buildings. If you have those in your condo are like usually a really big help because, you know, they're always wanting to talk to people and you can use them as distractions, even if they don't have dogs or even if they do like, They are, I always, you know, ask if they want to participate in our sessions when we're, you know, and when I'm with a client who has, um, has those types of people in their apartment. So definitely something to try out. Definitely. And again, the one video that you guys share in your course where you're like sitting in a park 
but far away enough and you're just walk watching people walk by like you could you could apply that in so many situations so and so I took that lesson and said well let me apply that to mm. in my lobby I have yeah. enough room let's sit there and let's just like get him to take it all in yeah so a couple of tips here from me are that when I work with my clients, especially when it comes to um, rounding corners and buildings, what I like to do is focus on the treat magnet. So treat in your hand with the dog behind you so that you can just kind of look around the corner and see what you have going on. If there is someone coming your way or not, you can just kind of teach the dog to, um, to just kind of do the magnets as you go around corners that can help decrease the number of reactions and that can start to um, build some success that way too. Um, and when because we discussed the sudden environmental contrast, so you're just hanging out in the lobby and then all of a sudden, you know, someone, the elevator opens and a big dog appears there. What I may do as a starting point is I may start to mark my dog. So say yes or good or whatever our marker is to mark the dog for noticing that trigger appearing in the environment. Because oftentimes what I, when I talk to clients during consultations is that their goal is to reward their dog for looking at them when the trigger is present. However, we, what if, the dog has really hard time doing that. Our first step, usually if we're having a hard time with that, is marking the dog for noticing the trigger and rewarding it. And we want to get it to a point to where the elevator opens or the like someone comes from around the corner and the dog has happy anticipatory feeling. So they're like, oh my gosh, did you see that? Mm -hmm. Where is my reward? Mm -hmm. This is how we can start to troubleshoot some of those more intense and sudden um, reactions and emotions as well. And then the more we practice, we can start to give the dog more space to notice the triggers without us giving them that mark and seeing if they'll look back all by themselves and then mark and reward look. So now we're telling them, yes, there is a trigger. Look at me. And here is your reward. And from there, we can start to add more and more of our alternative behaviors once we have that emotional response changed with the added bonus of eye contact on us. Mm -hmm. So great. So let's talk a little bit about the live that you guys did yesterday. I think you guys sourced a lot of questions from the community that people have had about leash reactivity. I know you talked about won't take treats. Was there another question that was coming up quite often that you guys had an interesting discussion about yesterday? There's one that did come up actually following the live. I got a few questions on it. Um, what do you do if your dog is reactive, but only to one specific dog? So, and that's actually kind of my situation. Well, he's reactive, but he's more reactive to certain dogs. And a lot of people messaged and were asking like, what do I do? You know, he's, he or she's pretty good, but there's just that one dog in the neighborhood. And no matter what it is, my dog goes crazy. Um, so to me, there's a few things you could do, right? So I don't even want to say do training differently than what you're doing, right? But having one specific dog that you can pinpoint makes it almost easier to set up those training sessions. I don't want to say easy because that's all relative, right? But if you have a dog that you're, you know, your dog is reacted to and it's your friend's dog, that's super easy to say, oh, let's set up a training session where you are just, you know, 100 feet away or wherever you need to be and let's work at that distance and then we'll close in and close in. And it's also okay if you're, you know, you don't know this dog and it's just someone in your apartment building. Um, you know, it's kind of like that same setup of let's sit at a distance when they come out. We're going to mark and treat, get closer while we can. Um, and then in the meantime, when you're not training, you're managing those situations when you can. So um, there's not, it's not always necessary, right? for having to have our dogs go be friends with every other dog. So I'm not saying don't do that, but I am saying, you know, understand that if your dog is reactive to this, like let's manage it in this moment until we can get in a training environment where we can work through that together. I was going to say make friends with the people and, <laughs> and, and have them help you in a training session or at least 
know when they're going out so you can use them yeah let me buy you a coffee and let me just borrow your dog <laughs> <laughs> um i would just love to put a number on this so how would you have rated diesel's leash reactivity in march from like one to ten one being horrible ten being he's perfect how would you have rated diesel's then and how would you rate his leash reactivity today he was definitely, and I'm trying not to be pessimistic, but he was definitely like a two on 10. So he was, he was really, he was bad. And I'm not like, I think you guys saw some of the videos. Like I really tried to show it. And some of them, I'm, I was almost like, wow, I can't believe I'm showing this, but this is the reality. Like he is really almost aggressive. It was aggressive, is aggressive sometimes. Um, now I'm, I would say we're like five or six on 10. Wow. We're, we're more than halfway there. So um again it's because i know really now i really understood what really sets him off and how to manage those situations okay okay i love that and i love that how happy you are with you know like a two to four or five increase in that number because you know again it's that that perspective of we're not expecting a 10 right away we're not expecting a complete 180 in just a month right so i love that you know you're really pleased with that type of progress. Yeah, it takes time. It takes time. We got to be gentle on them and we got to be gentle on ourselves. And just to see the progress is is so nice. And it's, you know, just being able to walk by a dog that's across the street and I know what to do is, and Diesel is not going absolutely crazy. And the dog owner is not looking at me like, what the heck is going on with her? Is for me is, is just a sight of relief, right? So. And that's a tough thing for you guys, right, Aaron and Tanya? Like, you might have made tremendous strides with the client, but the client's like, well, like, I should be here by now. Uh, does that happen a lot? And how do you guys deal with that? Because it's all about expectations, right? Yeah, that is probably one of the hardest things to, like, try and work through with a client. Um, you know, I do try and point out the big wins that seem small. Because sometimes with a reactive dog, you just see a dog barking, lunging, whatever. Um, but we, as trainers, Tanya and I might see, oh, this time this bark wasn't as intense. Or they didn't lunge. Or the hair on their back didn't go up. Or they barked, but they didn't lunge. Mm. Like Those are really, really big progress steps. So I do try and point those out. Um, I also love a good metaphor comparing, you know, where we were at before, where we are now, or would you expect quick results for the other thing? Yeah. So um, I, it is, that's probably one of the most difficult things. Cause I also get it. I mean, you know, when Gus is reacting, I also kind of get into tunnel vision too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I try to be as realistic as possible and really kind of paint the picture as a journey and if, even make people aware that ooh, even if we're doing six sessions, nine sessions, 12 sessions after our work together is done. And let's say I'm not there to coach them anymore. My goal is for them to have the skills and the understanding and the knowledge that will allow them to continue working with their dogs. I think that the more I live with our dog who is also least reactive, I don't think that there is like a cure for it. I mean, it may sound a little discouraging. And I think that, I mean, he looks at dogs and walks with attention. Like he can do everything and he's very well trained on everything, but there's still go is a good amount of management and awareness and training that happens on my end because um, it's, it's just emotions. It's just emotions and emotions are needing to be navigated. Mm -hmm. And I think that us just being realistic of what the expectations are is, is important. And I, I was, I've been working a case that has been pretty difficult. It was very intense reactions from a very big dog. And we've been working together for, a year and a half and the other day she sent me a message that she really feels like they've turned a corner and her dog you know his reactivity has shifted he's calm he looks at her and such but that's been one year and a half of us working mm -hmm. together and like 
doing all the techniques, doing all the setups, doing all the exposures, like constantly like learning, shifting, adding, you know, perfecting. So it's a journey. <laughs> yeah. If you're talking to parents of children that are going through behavioral issues, you're not going to be like, oh, we'll get through this in three weeks. Like they'd be like, that's it. Like people know that behavioral issues in human beings take a long time to treat and potentially manage for the rest of their lives, right? But with dogs, we're like, I want this to stop by this day. That could be a little unrealistic sometimes. So as we're wrapping up here, thank you for all the time, Jessica. Uh, I just want to get a sense of what you plan to do in the next month and build upon the progress that you've already made. And then, yeah, if there's any updates to your mental enrichment games and toys, would love to hear about that as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I really want to start focusing more around the house, the condo. Uh, you know, I'll show you guys how he is in the elevator and all that stuff. Um, and I think other dog owners can relate. A lot of people say, oh, my dog's reactive to the neighbors in the backyard. So it's kind of the same principle for me. Um, really focusing on that a bit more now. And, you know, it's getting warmer outside. I keep saying it. So you know, maybe one day I could bring him close to an ice cream shop outdoors uh, where people are around and kind of film his progress and see how he is. It's on my bucket list of things to, to do and, and to hopefully it'll go well. So stay tuned for that. Um, and yeah, in terms of for the product lunch, it is coming soon. I'm aiming for about in a month, two months, maybe, okay. but definitely by summer. So yeah, we're excited. Lots, lots of moving pieces, but it's, it's all, it's all fun. Yay. Well, great. Mm -hmm. We're looking forward to some more posts and updates on how Diesel and you are doing. And yeah, we'll check in back. I, I'm guessing in a month, month and a half to see how you're doing then. But first of all, congratulations on all of the progress that you've made. Uh, you just seem so much more confident in Diesel and your own capabilities. So yeah, congratulations to you. Yeah, and I can't thank you guys enough for giving me that that hope and those concrete techniques, simple, easy to follow that really have done wonders for me and Diesel. So thank you. Yay, thank you. <laughs> that makes us happy. That's why we created the course yes. so we can help someone in Canada make progress with their dog. Crazy. It's just, yeah. Crazy. It, yes. So amazing. Well, great, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day and we'll check in with you guys again soon. Just listen to the Family Pups podcast with your hosts, Tanya and Charles Lim. Subscribe to our podcast to catch our latest episodes. If you like the show, please make sure to share and review us on your favorite podcast app. And for links to anything we mentioned in the episode, check out our show notes. And don't forget to visit familypups.com podcast to listen to past episodes of the Family Pups podcast, including episodes on separation anxiety with Melania Demartini Price, Unpredictable Aggression with Michael Shikashio, Fearful Dogs with Debbie Jacobs, Puppy Socialization with Marge Rogers and Eileen Anderson, and many, many more. You have just listened to the Family Pups podcast with your hosts, Tanya and Charles Lim. Subscribe to our podcast to catch our latest episodes. If you like the show, please make sure to share and review us on your favorite podcast app. And for links to anything we mentioned in the episode, check out our show notes. And don't forget to visit familypups.com slash podcast to listen to past episodes of the Family Pups podcast, including episodes on separation anxiety with Melania Demartini Price, unpredictable aggression with Michael Shikashio, fearful dogs with Debbie Jacobs, puppy socialization with Marge Rogers and Eileen Anderson, and many, many more. <laughs>